All right, let's do this. Peanut, if you're staying in the room, no talking. Hello, and welcome to the PhotoWork Podcast, the talking, touchy-feely version of my book, PhotoWork, 40 Photographers on Process and Practice. Hey, everyone. I am Sasha Wolf. Recording once again today from the Bearsville Theater in Woodstock, New York. Thank you, Lizzie Vaughn and the uh, staff at the Bearsville for keeping my spot warm. And thank you for the great audio quality, by the way. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, I've got a big mixing board here. It's I've moved up in the world. Um, <laughs> I, I jumped in, sorry. <laughs> that's okay. That guy's Michael Chauvin Dalton. You know him, you love him. He's here. <laughs> Hey. So, Michael, we have a great but longish uh, show today with the photographer, artist, D'Angelo Ravel Williams. And mm-hmm. uh, so we're just going to sort of get to it. Maybe you could just, you know, say a few words about how you felt about the show and then and then we'll jump in. Yeah. You know, you and D'Angelo have, I think, what's an important conversation about representation in the arts. Uh, D'Angelo talks about their experience both in academia and out in the art world and frames their work in terms of seeing themselves in the work, but also how others might see themselves in the work and where that positions them in terms of their own awareness of representation. And I, I just thought it was fascinating. Yeah, no, it's a it's a very good conversation. It's an important conversation, and um, D'Angelo is a good a good spokesman for a lot of these these topics. I think so. Yeah, um, absolutely. Okay, so we're going to get right to it because this is a long episode, and mm-hmm. you th- you threatened me that if I went off on one of my usual tangents, you were going to make me do all intros by myself. Um, <laughs> And that is just not acceptable. In fact, I burst into tears just when I heard you say that. So um, no tangents. We're getting to it. Michael, uh, if you don't mind, please take it away. My pleasure. And here's your conversation with D'Angelo Lavelle Williams. D'Angelo Lavelle Williams. Welcome to the PhotoWork Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. Thanks for making the time. We start every episode with the artist just sort of filling everyone in on their background and how they got to where they are today. So if you don't mind, please, please tell us about your journey. Well, I would start by saying that I'd always been interested in art. Uh, My mother had these random paintings and sculptures that we'd get from flea markets and thrift stores. But now she's at the point of ordering things online. Um, But (laughs) I was surrounded by this sort of like, it wasn't really campy, but it was this sort of uncultured idea of like what art was and uh, things that, you know, looked beautiful in the home nonetheless. And that's what I grew up around. But it was really... Uh, I guess this this change in technology that kind of led me to start wanting to be an animator when I was younger because I was always watching TV shows, cartoons, and mm-hmm. that's what I grew up with. I'm a '90s kid. Mm-hmm. I was born in '92. Um, I'm from Jackson, Mississippi, and um, I 
started drawing maybe three, four, just different characters, imaginative things. And, you know, again, wanting to do the things that I saw on TV. And I kept that for a long time, just wanting to be an animator. And I, you know, didn't realize at the time, but all I knew is I wanted to do this, but there aren't many resources, of course, for arts programs and education in the South, especially for kids of a young age. But I had the opportunity to apply for this, basically an arts magnet program that if you applied, you were either in the dancing field, the musical field, theater, or visual art. And you applied to this at like third and fourth grade. And you entered and you applied at like third grade and you entered at fourth grade. So if you wanted to, you could stay through this program up and through up until your, your senior year of um, high school, which is was my case. So in this program, you know, they want to encourage the things that you've applied with. And they also want to teach you um, as, you know, someone going to school, you know, like public school where you have math, science and social studies, all that. But at some part of the day, you're at a separate school and you're making art and you're making music and dancing and not a lot of children have that opportunity. And it was something that I knew I wanted to do. And in this program, they broke you from in the visual arts department. They broke you from drawing from imaginative characters. They wanted you to draw from real life. Mm-hmm. We started making pottery on the wheel at, you know, in fourth grade, fifth Fun. grade and, you know, uh, making sculptures and printmaking and all of these different things that, you know, were fun to do. And I wanted to do them for the rest of my life. And it was like all of those other things I had as an experience, even at a young age where you don't understand like the full grasp of like what artists can become and who, you know, artists have been um, throughout history. But it's like, you know, this is all some people have um, as a resource for art, not knowing whether or not they're going to continue it or pursue it as a career. And that's what I wanted to do. But I didn't try my hand in photography during school until maybe my sophomore year of high school, where I took my first darkroom class. Um, I've been doing, I had been doing everything else, drawing, painting, sculpting, all of those things, ceramics. And photography was um, something that was introduced later. I mean, I've been taking cameras just, you know, around the neighborhood on one of my mom's little pink Kodak um, point and shoots that I had for a long time. And I ended up using that uh, camera eventually. So like, I wasn't so serious about photography when I was taking my first darkroom class. It was pretty much the year after that when I, you know, it's my junior year of high school and there's AP portfolios and all of this that pretty much encourage students in the arts to show and apply to these awards with their talents and whatnot. And I was very dedicated to making images at that point because I had been inspired by the film Avatar. And it was really interesting because it was so far removed from a lot of the sci-fi and a lot of the, you know, um, what really interested me from cinema at the time. And I wanted to 
pretty much make images of my friends in these other worlds and take us out of the ones that we were, you know, living in, um, which weren't, you know, horrible. But it's just like, you know, there were a lot of things that, you know, I wasn't realizing about myself. Like I wasn't out when I was younger. I didn't come out until I got to grad school. But I had this friend group and I wanted to kind of like put them in the surroundings that I wanted to make because they were it felt right that they were there. So it wasn't like I knew that I wanted to like document my friend group. Um, It was just like I was making all these weird surreal images in Photoshop. And that was like something that I did intensely, like all day, every day. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) uh, Like, and also having a love of music. I was doing so many different things, um, songwriting, making beats in like Fruity Loops, uh, similar to GarageBand. But um, I was doing that even though I was going to school to potentially become a visual artist. And like, those are some of the things that have like helped inspire what I did produce, um, whether it was an image or a sculpture or anything, like things that I've, you know, experienced and like loved from other people throughout my life. And, you know, junior year of high school, senior year of high school, we're both dedicated to making these digital images in Photoshop. And even though I knew I wanted to go to an art college, there weren't many options in Mississippi. And I ended up applying to two. I wasn't, I hadn't, you know, flown anywhere. I'd never Mm -hmm. really been um, out of the country. And I was kind of afraid to like do any of that to like fly to Mm -hmm. like you know expand my options for you know an art education and um my mom of course i'm her only child and she was just like well i don't want you to go to this place i don't you know that's too far whatever you know people murder people here Mm -hmm. (laughs) all of these things that are just like really just facing the world (laughs) and like living your life despite all of that but I ended up applying to SCAD in Atlanta, and I also applied to Memphis College of Art. Um, And Memphis was pretty close to Jackson's three-hour drive, and um, they actually came to my high school, the art high school that I went to. I did go to Memphis College of Art. It made the most sense. They, Mm -hmm. you know, offered me a scholarship. SCAD didn't. I mean, I loved Atlanta, but I ended up really falling in love with Memphis. People think I am from Memphis all the time. Memphis is like where I found and realized a lot about myself and my work. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, when I got to Memphis, I didn't know if I wanted to major in photography, painting or sculpture. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew it would be one of the three. And I mean, it really just made sense to continue with photography. I felt more scientific about it. Uh, As far as like it it was more, I felt like I could investigate (laughs) Mm -hmm. easier Mm -hmm. uh, something. Of course, not knowing what that would be yet. But I mean, I wouldn't say that I was making these horrible images that involved other cultures sometimes. But I'm just like, you know, I had to realize why I was doing that. Like I wasn't looking at myself. I wasn't looking at my blackness. You know, I wasn't really in the community of Memphis. I was, you know, in this art private art school that's in the park in the middle of memphis and i like had a lot of white friends 
uh, at some point when I was in undergrad and they started to show up in my work. And also I was just like, again, not out. So I'm diminishing this part of myself mm-hmm. and why am I putting, you know, my white friends in my work? Why am I making the work that I'm making about beauty? And at some point I was like, I don't want to photograph my white friends. I met this photographer, Witten Sabatini, mm-hmm. who graduated from Mississippi State and ended up moving to Memphis. And we met through friends. Basically, Witten was making images um, down south in Mississippi, in the Delta and northern Mississippi, and also in Memphis. And the images that I saw were mostly of black people. I like different car detail shops just around in the city, downtown, in different neighborhoods. And I, you know, was gravitated towards them because I, you know, of course, had began studying art, um, history and photography in undergrad not long before. But it was like, you know, I hadn't really seen images like this in a place, you know, where I was. You know, I had a firsthand experience of someone who was making work um, and like applying to shows and like portfolio reviews and all of that and yeah, so I, mean, I was inspired by when you know i mean one thing i was wondering when i was learning all about you doing my research for the mm. this conversation is who you were looking at yeah you know yeah. like what i mean you know you think about sort of getting to art school yeah. and I just assume people are looking at the most famous photographers in the it history. It was different of, for I mean, me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, a lot of the famous photographers that I was studying in undergrad were people like, you know, Gregory Crutzen, mm-hmm. Tina Barney, mm-hmm. you know, I barely knew of Dawood Bay. There were a few images of Dawood's work, uh, some of the Polaroids that I had remembered. Mm-hmm. But people like, you know, Dana Lawson was making work then and I mm-hmm. didn't know about her. I think Latoya Ruby Frazier came mm-hmm. across my path, you know, maybe my senior year of mm-hmm. undergrad when I was applying to grad schools and she had gone to Syracuse, which is where I ended up going. Right. Um, which I want to talk about. Yeah. So it was just like, you know, I was more so aware of mostly white photographers. Right. And... I didn't really know about Micheline Thomas up until maybe my senior or junior year of, I think my senior year of high school. So I had been studying photography for at least three years and a lot of people I was still unfamiliar with. Yeah. But I mean, it was like, you know, of course, important people to know. And a lot of them inspired my work, especially Gregory Crutzen, who I had. He actually came to Memphis College of Art for um, an artist talk. After the talk, uh, he came and like talked to the the class and um, just like gave us these tips that weren't really like helpful because, of course, he was like the type of person that you're like, you ask him a question and of course he doesn't have the answer. He, you know, wants you to figure that out for yourself. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, (laughs) you know, but I mean, most people are like that (laughs) at some point. But, you know. So tell me about getting to Syracuse, because it seems like when you get to Syracuse is when sort of the work that Mm. you're known for now and and the work that's in the new MacBook, Contact High, um, really starts to develop. Yeah, I had entertained grad school only because I was 
kind of forced to apply. Um, <laughs> well, the the seniors in my uh, at Memphis College of Art, the photo seniors, uh, were required to apply to grad schools, a handful of exhibitions, and Fulbright. Um, it was basically the us in the habit of doing it, which, you know, of course, was very helpful. But I didn't get my Fulbright, and I did get into two grad schools, the only two I applied to. Um, but I, you know, again, I had started to make this work in Memphis where I was going out in different neighborhoods. Eventually I started incorporating this um, fabric head wrap around strangers' heads in different neighborhoods around Memphis. And that became my thesis work. And before that I was just photographing strangers, men, women, and children in Memphis. And both of that, both of those bodies mm-hmm. of work I had applied to grad school with. And I applied to Columbia, Chicago, uh, where Dawood Bay was. And I applied to Syracuse, where Doug Dubois, uh, Sarah Heyman were. And those are the artists whose works gravitated me to those programs. Mm-hmm. But also just like, you know, I don't know, like I had very conflicting. I mean, this the decision felt very easy, but I was just like, you know. Of course, I'm weighing the pros and cons of both, but I had gone to SPE um, in 2015. Uh, it was in New Orleans, and of course, SPE has like uh, faculty from universities, art programs, photo programs, uh, portfolio reviews, artist talks, all these different things. So this was my, I think that's the only one I've been to like the full conference i've been to the the smaller conferences um i forget what they're called but but anyway i met i knew some people would be there like doug dubois was telling me you know don't make any decisions let me buy you a drink like Mm -hmm. when we met at the the photo conference and you know i was looking forward to meeting dawood bay who of course wasn't there i was you know surrounded by people who had been in the Syracuse community at this photo conference. And then there were a few people from Columbia there. I was, I was really hoping to like, you know, see people from um, the two colleges and get a better feel of like what, not necessarily what to expect, but you know, what felt right. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course I wasn't really thinking, you know, well, at some point I did start to think that, you know, that would be, is blowing up he's you know probably got a busy schedule and i might not get this hands-on one-on-one you know time with dawood mm-hmm. because of that one can if dream. i go to columbia right yeah <laughs> um but also is like understanding now is just like you really don't you sometimes don't want that but it's also just like you know a lot of these professors are busy in mm-hmm. many regards so so but you wound I up did. at Syracuse. Sorry. Yeah, I felt wanted there. <laughs> yeah. I felt wanted at Syracuse. Well, Doug um, is a very persuasive and warm person. Yeah, yeah. And it was also <laughs> everybody else, like Stanley Waluku, Wanumbo was at mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. this SP yeah. this time. Um, yeah. And other students, grad students, former, current. But yeah, it was like, it was it was a really good vibe. And I feel like my decision was made then. Mm-hmm. But I had, you know, brought the work that I had been making there 
that's what I applied at, in Memphis, which were, it was a series called Beauty Kings. That was my thesis work that I applied to Syracuse with. And I knew I didn't want to do that, that body of work there. I did try to go into different neighborhoods around Syracuse and photograph strangers again. And that's the work that I brought to my first crit at Syracuse. And, and, and again, like this is also a different time for me because I came out right as I was going to grad school and like officially, as opposed to like just a few friends knowing. Right. And it was like a very interesting experience. One of my first crits because the grad students, we kind of like met in the, in the month of the the summer before classes started. So we kind of got a feel for each other, went to bars and whatnot. So they kind of knew that I was out and like queer. Um, And I don't think Doug did. And the work that I had brought to that first crit, it wasn't, you know, it didn't involve anything about, you know, sexuality, blackness for sure. And like the sort of kind of documentary work that, I was basing a lot of the work that I had been making on just the way that I shot it. But it was just like, you know, Doug thought it best for me to surround the work that I had shown with the language of me being queer, Mm -hmm. even though I still had to figure that out over the next three years that I would be there. But it took a while for me to really get to, you know, involving other people in the work. And that was that started by having more experiences in Syracuse and other places, more intimate experiences and, you know, having queer friends for the first time, Mm -hmm. like become a part of my life. And at first I was photographing myself a lot. I did photograph myself in undergrad a little bit and it was mostly me magnifying my body parts with these large Fresnel lenses. And I said that I didn't want to photograph myself um, nude because so many people did it and I was just like well they're all you know these muscular bodies very like you know desirable images even even in you know art history started studying art photos like that's what you usually see mm-hmm. and I really didn't have any sort of grasp on images of uh, like the I forget what the collection is called but Carrie Mae Weems has used appropriated some of these images and used them from like these daguerreotypes of slaves. Mm-hmm. But like I, I knew about those images, but the actual, there, there's a much richer history of art of black people. And um, before it was art, just like images of us documented that we don't necessarily have the history of or the opportunity to learn about because there's so much more to learn about in, in these undergraduate programs really and there's no really uh, it's more like theory based in when you get to grad school so it's like if i'm not interested in theory and i'm required to take theory and most of the theorists are these white men and there's a second part to this theory class where there are more people of color and women i of course want to take that other part because you know to me that's more relevant to you know what i'm doing mm-hmm. but a lot of the things that are required for us don't include the things that are relevant to what a lot of people are doing these days. So I had to like, you know, 
basically build this sort of I had to seek a lot of things that I thought that I would, you know, have at Syracuse that weren't on campus, but maybe in the form of someone like Stanley Wulakumanumba who would visit and I talk about my work with him when I could or, you know, Marcia Michael who visited or seeing like Rotimi Fanny Coyote's exhibition at Lightwork and all of this undiscovered, like all of the photographers who died of HIV and AIDS, like not being able to continue to make work and mm-hmm. the little that I did see inspiring me to like start somewhere uh, with myself. And, you know, like the whole conversation has pretty much gone from me including black queer men in the work and now you know myself being non-binary and involving friends trans men women family in my work not to be reflective of a whole community but to kind of like show these lived and imagined experiences you know the images are all staged and that kind of had a lot to do with me bringing in the performativity of film and theater and my love of so many different things to kind of like build uh, the images that I've been making. Let's let's talk about the images that you're making, the images that you're known for now, that work that you really started to hone then in grad school. You know, your work is extremely intimate. It is very performative. I think there's just this really delicate line that you walk between the work feeling very authentically you, authentically (laughs) your life, but also, as you've talked about in the past, a character. You've said you never wear your glasses, which you wear in real life. You don't wear your glasses (laughs) when you photograph yourself. It's almost a little bit of a separation you've created there between the character that you are in these self-portraits versus the actual you. And so there's this really interesting sort of, you have your foot in, you know, both places. One, it is a performance that's, there's a bit of a character, it's a bit beyond you. And in other ways, it's very much you and it's extremely personal. There's a lot of nudity in your work, as you've mentioned, um, a lot of sexual references. Um, At what point, I mean, is there a moment in graduate school where you just think, you know what, I've got to just be brave here? Does it happen slowly? Or is there a point where you have a conversation with yourself where you realize in order to sort of talk about the things that you want to talk about, you're going to have to just do it, just go for it? Absolutely. I felt like that point came in my second year. The first year of grad school, I was making these self-portraits that were very flashy as far as like I'd I'd rent or not rent. I'd buy this thrifted clothing that was very like, you know, regal. And I basically wanted to like look very beautiful. And, you know, I was decorating rooms and basically building sets and mm-hmm. it ended up looking like the at the end of my first year in the final crit with the professors that we have, uh, they told me that my work was too perfect and too pretty. And uh, I was making the same face. So it was just like, you know, a lot that I wasn't 
thinking about in certain ways. Like I knew I mm-hmm. wanted to like have this very strong gaze and it was just like, you know, they wanted to see me. It was all images in domestic spaces, like friends' apartments, my apartments. And your work, and I just want to interject and just tell people if they're not looking at what I'm looking at. You know, your work is mm-hmm. is very formal. It's very highly composed. There's mm-hmm. nothing loose about it. It is very highly aestheticized. Your pictures are, I yeah. think, objectively very beautiful. The colors are very rich. There's the use of light is not over the top or distracting, but it's yeah. it's really solid. And anyway, go on. Yeah, no, all of those things, like I had to, well, yeah, of course it's like, you know, when you're in crits in grad school, things are being suggested to you to do or redo or try, and then you have to take everything with a grain of salt and, or, I mean, that's suggested to do as well, but a lot of things are like suggested and like meant like you should do this Um, (laughs) or it'll be like, you know, it won't be beneficial to you if you don't. So I, you know, at first didn't know how to take that criticism because I was like, well, you're telling me this is too perfect. I should keep doing it. <laughs> but, you know, I also understood that I did want to expand my lighting. I, I did want to emote more and I wanted to photograph outside more. I just had to do it again. I, I mean, my sense of freedom in ways has been like through cars and driving like I, you know, was still making a majority of the work in Syracuse as opposed to like, you know, traveling and making work down south with my mom at the time or like, you know, with family um, or anyone really. But I think Syracuse was kind of like where I met a lot of the people who ended up becoming a part of my work mm-hmm. in many different ways. And whether they were, you know, a test to see, you know, how does another person in one image with me look and how to make it work if it doesn't work out and try not to like force it. So like a lot of the times I would just like get into a space and wing whatever, you know, anything in the image. And um, I found myself photographing in a lot of bedrooms, living rooms, bathrooms. And I took this road trip uh, the summer after my first year with some friends from Syracuse to Memphis and we made some images along the way um, where I made some images along the way and not of course knowing what they would be a part of just like you know we're taking this road trip and it kind of makes sense to photograph and it was one of the first times where I was like nature is definitely one of the best places to photograph in And I don't really have a grasp on how to do it in a way that feels right and good Mm -hmm. to me. Like I wasn't thinking spiritually at the time. I wasn't thinking a lot about the landscape at the time. But and for a while, it still took me a while to figure out what to do in it. But that came through the help of, you know, having my first real successful time photographing lead to or photographing with another person lead to how I thought about photographing with other people outside and Mm -hmm. so the the image the lovers was the first time where you know I thought about of course subverting Renee Magritte's painting in a way that led me to be like well Renee Magritte thought like this 
and there are so many ways that black people think and I don't even have to think about that because I am black and it's like a lot of our experiences turn into art in ways that you know the narratives don't belong to us so I was like it makes so much sense for me to look at my experiences of being queer look at the way that I've you know felt growing up and you know with my body with not feeling like I have a community and like wanting to reach out to the black community in so many different ways that I felt like I never had the chance to growing up and now getting this sort of freedom to do that. Let me ask you a sort of overarching question. Yeah. I've heard you describe the cover image from the book, um, the image where you have a gun in your mouth and you're looking at the camera. This is a torso to head shot, pretty tight, um, sort of nondescript background. You're wearing a short sleeve button up shirt. I mean, you, you look quite, I don't know. What's the word? Um, there's something preppy. Yes. (laughs) Cross my mind. (laughs) Yeah. You look preppy. You look preppy. You you look sort of like there's something happy about the shirt and, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and, and then you have this, gun in your mouth. I've heard you describe it as being very much about violence, but also about sexual pleasure. Yeah. And also about mental health and the idea of suicide, which obviously is the most sort of overt reference, I think, in the picture. When I heard you talk about this, I was wondering, can a picture represent so many things at once? Right. To the creator? Right. I, I mean, they can... The viewer is always going to, there's going to be a million interpretations from the viewer Absolutely. because the viewer is going to bring yeah. their own life experience to what they're Absolutely. looking at. But, I tell people, yeah. But I've, I've heard you describe so many of your images and when you talk about them, there are so many different things that inspired you to make the image. And yeah. he, here's the question. You have to be really honest here. I will. Okay. <laughs> ha, ha, are all those things things that you were thinking about when you set up the picture? Or are some of those things things that occurred to you after you made the picture, almost as if you were a viewer yourself? Do you catch what I'm asking? Yes. And I will say that both of those are true. Okay. So there are some situations where I've made images and I don't quite have the narrative, mm-hmm. you know, there because, you know... Sometimes I get into a place and wasn't really thinking of making something there. And mm-hmm. then I could just, you know, whip up something. Right. Um, and by whip up something is, you know, like I can like get into space, you know, take my clothes off or keep them on, depending yeah. you how I'm feeling. You have a feeling about a picture you want to make. Right. But there are other times where, you know, I've drawn sketches of what I want to happen in an image, which mm-hmm. helps me, you know, make the image, mm-hmm. um, even if... I could be thinking of someone for the image and then it could be attributed to anybody at that point, Mm -hmm. especially if I'm getting to the point of writing what I want to happen in an image, which is also, you know, coming from me writing about the work, writing about, you know, my life experiences. Yeah. So all of those different things on top of, you know, history, you know, it's so much. It's so many different things to where I can be like, I am already looking and feeling, looking at and feeling so many different things. 
And I know one of these things is attributed to the, the resulting image. Like it possibly was from, you know, this sketch idea that I started or, you know, it's probably from this written thing that I wanted to visualize. And there are times where it's very like I'm like every time I've well, it seems like it is every time. But many of the images are that multi-layered to me. Yeah, no, I, I realize that. Yeah. I- and especially blow, yeah. And I, it seems to me like you are constantly discovering what your work is about. You know that. Yeah. That after the, fa- you know, there was this great interview a very long time ago with a great Italian filmmaker, Michelangelo Antonioni, where mm-hmm, mm-hmm. an interviewer asked him to explain. I can't remember which movie it was, La Ventura, La Notte, whatever, and. He said, how do you expect me to explain my work? I'm basically (laughs) still trying to understand it myself. And, you know, because he wrote and worked so much from an unconscious place. Now, I understand that with you, your work has to be set up in a way that, of course, you have to understand what you're doing to some degree. But it really reminded me of that Antonioni quote. I was like, I think D'Angelo is also figuring out what these pictures are are about, you know, months, years after D'Angelo has made them because... It does. Yeah. I mean, it does, like, help to sit with the work. I mean, yeah, I, I feel like that's a given to artists. I mean, a mm-hmm. lot of artists don't have, you know, the time or opportunity to do that in certain ways. But I think for me, it's just been like, you know, sometimes I know what I want to happen in an image and sometimes I don't. And I've seen, you know not knowing what I want to happen in an image. Like I've tried to be better at knowing or else I'm not going to make, you know, I'm not just going to do something random, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, it has to make sense. It has to feel right. And that's kind of been dictated by place. It's also Mm -hmm. been dictated by people who, you know, are around and available, just making things happen even sometimes. Um, Even if it's at the last minute, like I remember, you know, having, three shoots in a week with friends, one right after another, right before traveling. So like, you know, just having these images not necessarily be for anything, but just like having them to sit with and like look at and edit, even if, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't become anything, um, has like become a part of my life. And it's really like, I have the time to dedicate it, you know? Yeah. So let me ask you, you, you had the sort of unusual and wonderful, I think, experience of being noticed by a wonderful gallerist named Kim Burroughs pretty early on, I think, while you were still in grad school and starting to show very early on, very young age. And how has that been? I mean, has that been... um, I mean, I, I think Kim has probably been a good steward of your career development, whatever. I mean, she's an incredibly thoughtful person. Um, Absolutely. But, you know, what did, what has that felt like to sort of have a a career happen, you know, so quickly at such a young age? Yeah, no, I mean, it doesn't seem like it was five years ago when I had my first show with Kim. Yeah, Kim was the guest critic that they that uh, the professors at Syracuse brought to do studio visits with all the grad students at the end of my 
second year. And um, yeah, no, like it was like they tried to get Kim, like Kim gave Latoya and uh, Doug a show. I can't remember. I think maybe 2014, maybe before that. But Doug was basically informing the grad students, us, that, you know, we wouldn't be able to read Kim. She's like, you never know what she'll like, Mm -hmm. things like that. (laughs) And um, so basically the way it works is the professors have, the four grad professors have studio visits separate from the guest person that they bring in to do studio visits with the students. So I missed my meeting with the professors because I was, you know, asleep, overslept. And um, and once I got to campus, they were like, get ready for your meeting with Kim. And, you know, I set my work up, Kim comes in, and we ended up talking about, you know, my experience so far in Syracuse, uh, what, you know, inspired some of the work. Um, she really gravitated towards Blow. And basically, you know, I was just telling her that I was seeking a lot of things that I needed on campus outside. Like, you know, they stripped a lot of funding, which is being cut for the art programs. And it felt like, you know, a direct jab to me because I'm like, I'm just getting here. Y'all are cutting these scholarships that are full rides. And someone has gotten this for two years already. And I'm just like, uh, what is this? But, you know, nonetheless, happy to be there and um, <laughs> make work while I was there. But um, Kim kind of like saw that, um, saw all of these things and like really didn't come there to give anyone anything. And um, she at the end of the critique, she was or the studio visit. It was like, you know, well, stay in touch. And that was it. And I, it was also like this very pivotal moment because I was about to fly out of the country for the first time and uh, be on, of course, be on a plane for the first time. And basically Kim emailed me maybe, like she knew I was going to be leaving. She knew I'd be like in New York City, leaving from JFK and whatnot. So basically she asked me to send her the, the file for Blow um, so she could just like look at it and basically invited me to have a meeting in the gallery uh, the next week. And um, like literally around the time that I was about to leave, I was going to Venice uh, for the Biennale. I was like a two week class on the Venice Biennale that I was taking. But that was like, you know, it was a lot going on. And then, of course, I had this meeting before, you know, I fly out with Kim And she's offered me, you know, she asked me to bring images and we looked at them in the gallery and um, like she offered me a show then. But it was just like, you know, a lot like going out of the country and then knowing that I was going to come back and like start working on this exhibition um, and not really knowing. Like I knew that the gallery was big. Kim was great. Mm -hmm. Um, Like we had known her history of working with Magnum and like she was basically she's a powerhouse. And um, like looking now, it's like, you know, I've not been led astray because like Kim has great judgment. Mm -hmm. Um, Like she listens to, you know, my opinions and on many different things and uh, has basically become like family. Like my mom came to the first show I had with Kim. It's been basically like, you know my mom and dad are both in my images and they've gotten 
more familiar and more aware of like what I do as an artist. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, my mom's like, I'm again, her only child. I have a sister. My dad has two other children, basically. And well, one, I have a five year old sister that my dad just found out was his a few years ago. So now there are three of us, but we all have separate mothers. And my sister is someone who's like, you know, kind of also inspired a lot of my performativity in my images as well. But she's slowly becoming a part of the work. But all that to say, I'm like at the point where a lot of my life Kim knows about and that even like led me to be open about my status when I was diagnosed with HIV. And, you know, because, of course, Kim and I are great at working together like she's gotten my work in so many different places that i feel like if i was working with a lot of other you know galleries might not happen yeah she's a strong advocate yep and you know making not necessarily of course i make mistakes and whatnot but like trying to make decisions that kind of you know set up my life to be more positive and like for the work to be treated well even after i'm gone you know let Um, me ask you sorry to jump in we just uh sort of cut time wise a couple more questions um i guess three things that i'm really interested in Mm -hmm. you don't really have at this the past five years or or whatever it is you don't really have Mm -hmm. bodies of work right you're sort of working on one long series that is evolving as you seem to become more interested in, as you said, adding your family. Your family wasn't in your work for a long time, and now you've added your family. Your father makes some wonderful appearances um, and some very important pictures. And so Mm. you can see how the work is changing and growing and your interests are changing and expanding. But it is one big body of work, which is sort of unusual these days. But Yeah, no, I know. (laughs) Yeah, but um, I, I just wanted to mention that you don't even have to, it, you know, I just I just think it's well, really interesting. I I really attribute that to kind of, I mean, just the, the, the way that academia, like art programs are as like, you know, the weekly kind of like turn out something new each week or different. Right. And yeah. it's like a series of, you know, bodies of work that I was making in undergrad that I would turn out in a week that involved a lot of self-portraiture you know even um I mean I I would have loved for some of those images to be in the book um but that didn't really make sense in the edit we had I think like the book is really beautiful by the way thank you thank you congratulations yeah thank you I'm very happy with it and yeah so it's just like I think I was I mean I felt like making a body like a like a series of work was something that kind of made me think about being burned out mm-hmm. and even if I might not have been it just felt like it was unnecessary to exude that much energy into something that could be that I could think about more and like live with more and it could be you know it could respond to like I can make things that respond to things like on my own time mm-hmm. and that's basically something that tiana brought up in her writing was just like my work coming alongside of me which you know tiana brought up a lot of things that i wasn't really you know aware of either 
um, one of the other things was how much I did. She did my the face. essay in your in yes. your book. Yeah, a wonderful artist herself. But yes, so that was something that I felt you know just felt right for me like i am not always making images sometimes i go months without making images um it helps to like travel to see friends and family or for um exhibitions when i get the opportunity to to like you know make work around and like through uh, these transitional periods of my life let me just her, her full name is tiana nakia mcclauden so yes okay just want to mention that okay Last question for you. You you said something that I just want to ask you about in a, in a lecture I heard you give. You said, if you don't see yourself in my work, you have to ask yourself why that is. Yeah. What does that mean to you? Can you just sort of tease that yeah, out a bit? I, I think about it in many different ways. Like when I come to an image, when I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about perspectives a lot. I'm thinking about how I of course, would see someone looking at something, seeing, placing themselves. So like my image, for example, I'll be up there in a minute, which is of a former partner in a tree and their legs are dangling. Like I'm that I titled that image to be this multi-layered thing from the viewer thinking I'll be up there in a minute. Um, and, you know, depending on if you're black or of color or white, you'll be able to, you know, understand the sort of place that you have in the world by asking yourself would you be up there so it's, it's not necessarily designated for every viewer but it's also you know me understanding that i know that i'm looking at the perspective of the people in the images whether it's me or someone else but also trying to have the audience not necessarily be interactive but kind of ask themselves why they may or may not see themselves in the work. And I feel like I make most of the answers obvious. Like there are no white people in the work. There are solely black people, queer, you know, black people mostly, and then my family. And I, you know, have this long track record of not photographing models. I photograph people that, you know, I'm familiar with, whether friend, family, former partner, and I feel like all of that is like very sacred. That's like chosen community. And I feel like I've always wanted to kind of talk about these spaces that don't involve whiteness and show how the results of, you know, white supremacy and slavery are still, you know, in, in, enthralled in our experiences even though we don't live as slaves, even though we don't um, experience, you know, the things that our ancestors experienced, we are still here, you know, living amongst the results of those things. And a lot of people, you know, will look at my work and, of course, not think about a lot of the things that I'm wanting them to think about. You know, I'm not always there to talk about my work. And I even had my last show um, with Higher Pictures, Papa Don't Preach, was supposed to be solely images of my father and I. And then the pandemic happened and my father basically was supposed to be moving to Mozambique for work for a year and he wanted me to go there and photograph him. But I ended up just making a few images of my father in Louisiana um, a few years ago, just visiting him for a week. But the images that 
were, you know, in the edit for this show, two images of my father and I, an image of my grandmother and I, and an image of uh, me and a former partner, and I think two images of myself. So six images. And this one person, this black man who came to the show, he came up to me and he said, I know what this work is about. You know, this work is about the white man taking over or controlling the black man. And I was like, oh, wow. I He's really just looking at, you know, my light skinnedness. And he thinks that there are white people in this work. And I was like, well, there are no white people in the work. But the, the I, I guess, the gestures and the sort of obscurity for him, I don't know if he wasn't like looking hard enough, but this is what he said to me. And, you know, I always talk about wanting to hold anyone accountable, but mostly white people accountable for their own histories when they look at my work. I don't necessarily know if I do that, but that's something that I want to do by having, you know, a viewer who may not see themselves if they are white in the work because there are only black people in the work. How do you see yourself in that work? Why don't you see that self in yourself in that work? You know, all of those questions lead to, you know, people looking at their own histories if they're willing to answer them. And that's something I want because it leads to my reasoning for making the work. Let you me know? ask you. Yes. No, I it's interesting because, you know, I know that that's, you know, what you're saying. Right. Right. right with right. that question. But it's so funny because at the same time, that statement, if you don't see yourself in my work, you have to ask yourself why that is yeah. also lends itself to another reading, which is that maybe you're not trying hard enough to relate Right. You know, and that, right. that that's a completely right. different reading of that statement. Right. But it's accurate, though. Yeah. I mean, on one hand, there's the very sort of foundational and sort of didactic thing that you're saying, which is, well, you're not in it. If you're white, right. you're not right, right, in right. it. Right. In that in that way, not physically, you well, know, right. not visibly. And this work isn't about you. It's about right. It's about me and it's about the me. results of you in some well, it may cases. Maybe about the results of you, right? <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, about being black, being queer, be whatever. Mm-hmm. So, or m- your relationship with your parents or right, right, your right. lover, you know, because it is so autobiographical. But, right. Which I wasn't making it, you know, autobiographical at first. I mean, but I yeah. just want to say that to me, I have really enjoyed, I'm, I'm just going to end on this note, I have really enjoyed, and I hope that this doesn't bother you, but I've enjoyed trying to find myself in your no, work. No, no, I love that. I, you know, trying to... I do, There's I really so much do. tenderness, first of all, <laughs> in a lot of the pictures. And so there's a way that if you're willing to be vulnerable and find your own tender vulnerabilities. Absolutely. It's very easy to find yourself in your work. Right. So just wanted to say that. No, I really do appreciate that. I love that. On that note, because we've hit that time, I have scores more questions. So maybe we'll have you back on. But thank you so much for spending this time with me today. It's been oh, really awesome. Thank you. Hearing Sasha. you and, and getting to know you. I've, I've really enjoyed 
enjoyed this so much. So thank yes, you. I look forward to meeting um, in person. Yeah, out, well, outside of <laughs> my living room. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm back and forth to New York all the time. So let's um, let's let's find a time to hang out. I would love that. Yes, we will. I'll meet you at Higher Pictures because Kim's a buddy of mine. So oh, amazing, amazing. All in the family. Okay, D'Angelo, thank you so much and take care of yourself. All right. You too. Thank you, Sasha. Okay. Bye. Bye. Photo Work with Sasha Wolf is produced by me, Michael Chauvin Dalton of Real Photo Show. The associate producer is Taylor Selsback, and the executive producer is Sasha Wolf. Our theme music is by J. Walter Hawks. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and rate us with all the stars available on your listening platform. 